You're listening to 106.9 here on Tune FM. As the weather begins to warm up, Australia begins to see more active snake sightings throughout September through to around April in what is dubbed snake season. With snake season comes a heightened sense of fear and concern surrounding snake bites for both people and their pets. I am joined now by Max Tibby to talk a little bit about snakes, their behaviours and what you should do if you encounter one. Max Tibby is a PhD candidate here at UNE, working and studying under the supervision of Dr Eric Nordberg, a senior lecturer in zoology and ecology from the School of Environmental and Rural Science. Max is also a certified snake catcher and on iNaturalist has nearly 2,000 observations and over 9,000 identifications of reptile species. <laughs> Max, thank you for joining us. How's it going? Uh, pretty good, thank you. So can you tell us a little bit about your work as a PhD candidate? Uh, so my work's based in the Murray Mallee of South Australia, um, looking at the thermal properties and uh, changing structure and availability of shelter sites for reptiles. Uh, so I guess the elevator pitch version is if you imagine a little Mallee dragon or something, it's going to have a certain thermal tolerance, which you can't exceed. And to stay within that thermal tolerance, it's going to use shelter sites like spinifex, woody debris, burrows, that sort of thing. Now, a lot of these shelter sites are vegetative in nature, um, like grass, leaf litter, etc. So when a fire comes through, as you'd imagine, it's going to really reduce and alter the structure of these shelter sites. So I guess um, I'm trying to determine really how fire shapes the structure and availability of shelter sites, how it shapes the the thermal properties of these shelter sites, and how that's going to uh, determine the availability of appropriate thermal shelters for all these individual reptile species going into the future, particularly under altered fire regimes and climate change. And I think that is something that is very, very timely, considering it looks like we're going to be heading into a bit of a scorcher of a fire season this year, and of course we had the, the horrendous black summer bushfires of 2020. So you're based in Adelaide, I understand. What made you decide to study through UNE? Um, basically, I just sort of I knew I wanted to continue doing a PhD, working on reptiles, um, and just started talking to Eric really about this is this is something where we think there's a project, and it sort of just spun out from there. We had you know very loose early ideas. Um, Eric was looking for a student to work in the SMR Mallee, um, and we just sort of back and forth and eventually came to the decision that this is something that's worth investigating. Perfect. And you work as a snake catcher as well. What do you generally do with snakes that you catch? Uh, we take them out bush and release them. Um, we say, you know, everyone says, oh, we take them out bush, we take them far away. Uh, and, you know, when I'm at a client's house, we do say, like, oh, yeah, I'll take it well away if they're scared. Um, and some some catchers do. Some catchers do take them well into national parks and that sort of thing. But we're increasingly understanding that, um, I guess, the, the further away you move snakes, you're moving them outside of their natural range, the range of that individual. So... When I'm catching snakes, I'm trying to keep them as close as possible while not putting them within, the, not putting them at risk of being harmed by humans. Sure. So, do you collect any venom for research or medicinal purposes? No, it's in Australia. It's all pretty well covered at the moment. Um, anti-venom, like yes, it's something that we need in the medical system, but it's not. You know, for as much as we talk about Australia having you know the ten most deadly snakes in the world and that sort of thing, we really don't have a huge need to be producing all this antivenom like people talk about. So it's not it's not like the it's not like say fun web spiders. If you catch one you don't have to drive it to the reptile park to get the venom produced. That's handy. Yeah, it's pretty much just like ARP um, down the Central Coast, they pretty much cover all the bases. There's a couple other producers around the country, but um, yeah, for the most part, like a lot of uh, the venom that's produced for antivenom nowadays is all largely just based on captive snakes. 
Perfect. So we sp- I spoke a little bit before about so uh, so-called snake season. Uh, as sna- of course, snakes are sightings are more uh, likely to happen in the warmer months. What do snakes do in the colder months of winter? Do snakes hibernate? Uh, so the, uh, people people tend to say hibernate, but we um, when we're talking about snakes and reptiles, we use the term brumate. So it's not uh, hibernation is a constant state of a lower metabolism, really just doing nothing for half of a year. Brumation is uh, slowing down the metabolism, so it's you know, eating less, moving less, breathing less. They have just a lot, um, but it requires much much oxygen, but it requires much water because they're not moving around, they're not hunting. Uh, and it's cold. They don't. They can't build up their energy to be out and about. Uh, what we find, though, in Australia is, for the most part, like most of our snakes are active all year round. It's just in many parts of the country, like New England, where it gets really bloody cold over winter, uh, you're just not going to see them there. Only, <coughs> sorry. They're very opportunistically coming out and basking, uh, so they're not they're not properly active out looking for a mate, out hunting. But they're you know throughout the colder months they're within their hide, um, and yeah, coming back out when conditions are favourable. I was going to say I certainly wouldn't want to be doing too much uh, foraging or food hunting in sub-zero temperatures. So I think yeah. that's uh, that's pretty <laughs> fair enough. So uh, we, you mentioned, in fact, just before that you know uh, a lot of the talks around snakes in Australia is we've got the the X most dangerous snakes in the world or this that and the other. Do you know how many species of snake there are in Australia? Uh, no, it's, it's, it's funny because it's kind of constantly changing. We're yeah, always you know um, discovering new species or lumming species back together or changing the genetic classifications of different species. You know, it was just a few weeks ago uh, that a new, a new species of whip snake was just described. Uh, whereas, and then last year we had oh, a species of python got sunk into being the same as a different species of python. So it's like these, these things are constantly changing. Um, but it is, it's about a couple hundred last I checked. And how many of those roughly, uh, again, very approximately, <laughs> I'm not expecting to know the exact figure, how many of those are venomous or threats to humans? Um, so, so if we're talking snakes you're going to encounter, because like there's about 100 species of blind snake in Australia, which are tiny little nocturnal things that live under the soil and eat antler ants. Um, not counting those, because you're never going to see them. Sure. The snakes that will actually encounter the overwhelming majority of venomous. So the majority of Australian, like big terrestrial snakes, are what we call lapids. that are front-fanged venomous snakes. Uh, they're really, as a radiation of, um, of species, they're really centred here in Australia. So what should people do if they come across a snake in the wild? Just don't bother it. It's, it's pretty simple. Like, there's always talk about, you know, oh, just you know, stay still, freeze, run for help, and let everyone else yada, yada, yada. Just, if there's a, it really just boils down to, if there's a snake there, just don't, don't screw with it. Like, just, it's... You know, don't it, pester it, the bloody thing. Yeah, just, it's just going to sit there. It's not going to bother you. Um, just give it space. It's really, it's, it's not, you know, there's always talk about, oh, you got to, you know, there's a... You know, stand still and, you know, there's a process you're supposed to go through. It's really just don't bother the snakes. And uh, is it true that snakes generally don't attack humans unless provoked or threatened? Universally, yeah. Like, they... You, I think the thing that I think about is, um, yes, we have the ten deadliest, like, most toxic snakes on the planet. But they're the most toxic snakes on the planet if you're a lab mouse. That's how we <laughs> test them. So it's like... Gotcha. You know, we have... We have like two snake bite deaths a year in Australia. Um, you know, sometimes like less. Uh, okay, sometimes more. But whenever you read into it, it's always because either someone's had an allergic reaction or they haven't sought appropriate medical treatment. Yes, if you get bitten by a brown snake or a tiger snake or a taipan, etc., you could die, but you're probably not. Right. It's like still go to hospital. Sure. But 
to be bitten by a snake in the first place, you really had to have been messing with it. And presumably, because, well, exactly, snakes, they're not going to, if they if they happen to see a human, which is, what, 100 times their size, their first thought is not going to be, I'm just going to go and ruin this guy's day and chomp on him. It, it, they're not, it, it's more of a, a, a fear-based response or a, or you've really got to piss a snake off for it to want to try and attack you. Yeah, like especially where the, if you think about where the venom's concerned, the venom is geared towards their prey. So we see that you know things like um, taipans and brown snakes, things that we uh, think of as the most dangerous snakes to humans, are the most dangerous snakes because their venom um, is designed to target mammalian prey, whereas things that don't target mammals as much, things that uh, generally target skinks or little frogs, obviously can still do some damage, but it's not it's not um, yeah, it's not geared to target mammals. And because it's, venom is for prey, it's to, to, <laughs> it's to kill prey. Um, and we are, we are not prey. There is no snake in Australia that could possibly try and, try and consume a human. Even, so they've got no impetus to try and bite us. Even the largest pythons would have a bit of a, would have a, bit of a difficulty consuming a full-grown human. Yeah, maybe a scrub python would hit, would hit a toddler. Yeah, but you know you're talking a pretty pretty big snake and a pretty small person. Of course. Um, so, I, oops. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I was going to say like a lot of bites that happen are just dry bites where, you know, you got to think about it. It's like if you you know were to, when they go up to a possum and hit it in the face, it's going to bite you. you. You know, hit a dog, it's going to bite you. Don't hit dogs. Don't hit possums. But you know what I mean? Like it's <laughs> sure. No, of course. If you, if you attack or harass an animal, it's probably going to bite you. Right. And a snake's the same thing. Like, if you harass a carpet python, it's going to bite you. If you harass an eastern brown snake, it's going to bite you. It just so happens that sometimes when an eastern brown snake bites, a little bit of venom comes out. Sure. And that's when you've got more of a problem than yeah. just a dry bite. So if a snake does happen to feel threatened, if, it, if you provoke a snake or if you accidentally threaten it and it freaks out, what behavior will it typically exhibit that's a bit of a warning sign? Okay, I'm going to bite you. Uh, generally just sort of rearing up. Um, a lot of uh, our venomous snakes typically will... Um, that they'll do what's called a hooding. So if you imagine, like, you know, when a cobra rears up, they'll splay the back of their neck out and make themselves appear larger. A lot of our snakes will do the same thing. So mulga snakes, tiger snakes, brown snakes, all of that, they'll splay their neck out to make themselves look bigger. That is a defensive response. You know, that's them saying, look how big I am, go away, please. Um, and then from there, they'll start, you know, mock striking. So swinging their head towards you, trying to scare you off, make you think that they're going to bite. And then if you really keep going at them, then those mock strikes will become an actual strike. And so you've got a bit of time after you first threaten it to realise, okay, this snake is annoyed, I'm just going to leave. I'm going to back off and not pursue whatever I'm doing. Yeah, like a lot of people will step on snakes and they still won't get bitten because the snake is still, it sees you as a threat. And, you know, it's a snake sort of knows that, doesn't know per se, but it has a rough idea that in a fight between a human and a snake, the snake's always going to lose. Sure. So it doesn't want to escalate things. And how, if uh, someone gets into a situation where they are unfortunately bitten by a snake, what should they do? Um, just, Besides run to hospital. Yeah, just go to hospital. Basically, just call Triple O and get to hospital. Um, first, verify if you've actually been bitten by a snake. Um, we get a lot of reports of snake bites in this country that are just someone's been in their backyard. They've got a scratch on their leg. Five minutes later, they see a snake and they go, oh, snake's bit me. We get so, like, you would be shocked how many are like that. Um, or they just they they have like two bite marks on their leg or something, and they assume it's a snake, despite having never seen a snake. Right. If a snake actually bites you, you're probably going to know. Like yeah. you're probably going to see it happen. <laughs> right. Of course. If a snake is spotted in the backyard, again, retrieve your dog. Maybe yeah. and get it inside. Is it in a fight between a dog and a snake? There's neither party 
no. is is going to end well. Like if a dog might, but if a dog is going to attack a snake, whenever I deal with that as a snake catcher, you're always one of a dead snake. Yeah, okay. it's like completely consistent, and then it's fifty fifty whether or not a dog gets bitten. Sure. Um, but so you're you're going to have a dead snake, and you might have a dead dog. So sure. just remove your dog. Get the dog out, and then call somebody to professionally remove the snake for you. Yeah, because um, it's it's. When you don't really know what you're doing, people tend to think you can just pick the snake up by the tail and it's and it can't swing up at you. They absolutely can. Every single one of them can carry their full body weight back up and nail you on the hand. That's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> that is a terrifying thing to imagine. Uh, so you obviously have worked in this field for quite some time. Uh, do you think that snakes are as dangerous and as scary as they're often made out to be? No, they're pretty... Like, obviously, if you, if you pick up a snake, it's going to try and bite you a lot of the time. Um... I mean, not all the time, still, but don't go testing that theory. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Sure. You can, you can pick up a snake and it, it might be totally fine. Um, people will, you know, people keep red belly blacks and taipans and mulgers and everything as pets. Wow. Yeah, like people will treat them like a pet python um, and then sometimes they get bitten anyway. But it's because they're, you know, handling a snake wrong. Um, I guess what, it, but if you're, out in the, if you're out in the bush and you pick up a snake, that snake is going to try and bite you. Of course. It's, it's, it pretty much, it's, it's That's what as you'd imagine, it would happen with, any animal. You pick up a blue-tongued lizard, it's going to try and bite you. Um, as for how dangerous they actually are, I mean, you know, two deaths a year speaks for itself, right? It's two deaths a year, and in every single story you hear about these deaths seems to imply that someone was messing with a snake beforehand. I guess the thing is, we think about how quickly an, you know, uh, an eastern brown or a taipan or something can kill someone. We think about the fact that we have all these incredibly toxic snakes in the country. If they actually... What if we were targets of their venom? If they actually wanted to harm us and bite us and chase us down, etc., we'd all be dead. Like we would not stand a chance. If you like go on YouTube and look up a video of something like an eastern brown um, eating prey or something, or you know someone feeding their their pet mog or whatever, when they go for food, they go so quickly. You, it's like you would not have time to respond. Sure, it's the food response, their response to actually really try and go and inject venom into something is a very different response to that, trying to defensively bite when you pick them up. Um, so yeah, if they were as dangerous and as really out to get us as people would suggest, we would all be dead. Like, we would not stand a chance. And just for context for listeners, as you mentioned before, uh, or approximately two snake bites a year or two, two fatal snake bites a year, whatever, uh, there are, I think, in New South Wales alone, it's triple figures of fatal road accidents uh, each year. Um, the, the, there are, in terms of in terms of dangers to humans, there are. You're far more likely to be killed by uh, a dog or 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 a, or, a, or, a, or or a horse or something. As yeah, it's to a, it's a really good point. Like it's sort of you, people have this are still brought up with this attitude. If you're only good snakes, a dead snake, right? And if they see a snake, they kill it. Even in national parks, you know, people have been charged with this. They go into a national park, they go and explore the bush, and if a snake comes through their camp, they've killed it. Jesus. Yeah, it, it happens. Really bloody frequently. Um, but by the same token, you go, well, if there's two deaths from snake bites a year and we're gonna, people are going to kill every snake they see, what's to stop me from go- walking, down in the, walking down the street and just shooting every dog in someone's front yard? Because statistically speaking, one of those dogs is much more likely to kill me than a snake is. Sure. So it just it just doesn't add up. It's uh, it's maybe it's a lot more socially acceptable to freak out, see a snake, and kill it. If you did that to a dog, you might have a few more questions to answer. Yeah, it's a good point. You're you're not as likely to be killed by a snake as I think a lot of people are. But you know, it just doesn't have any grounding in reality, right? It's just you just it's all just um just stories or culture. You know, that's how we 
a, a treat things in Australia. Granted, we're a lot better than pretty much anywhere else in the world. Like the fact yeah. that we have snake catchers, for instance, is a massive step up from like 90% of the planet where they do, like there's no snake catching is if it exists is purely volunteering no one gets paid for it because otherwise it's, people just kill everything they see sure so we're, we're doing like we've got a lot of improvement but we're doing we're doing all right and what are some of the more outlandish snake myths that you've heard over the years um you get a lot of people who seem to think that a baby snake has legs so <laughs> we get a lot I of call that one you get a lot of call outs for baby brown snakes that people would see a little skink in their backyard and they think well, they haven't lost their legs yet. I, I don't know where this one comes from. It's, yeah, properly insane. Um, there's a classic blue tongues keep snakes away. Um, you get that a lot. I mean, yes, they, like, they eat... A snake will eat a blue tongue. It's not, like, if you go out in the bush and you like, lift up a piece of tin or something that's lying on the ground, you can find a blue tongue curled up next to a brown snake. Like, they don't influence each other at all. Um, another good one's red bellies keeping brown snakes away. People go like, oh, you know, we'll, we'll kill all the browns we get, but we let, we keep the red bellies around because they keep the browns away. They're, again, they both eat each other. Um, I mean, the classic is snakes uh, chasing people. That's just... That's not It just doesn't happen. Yeah, sure. Uh, and there you go. If you are out in your backyard and you see a snake with legs, don't freak out. It's a lizard. Yeah. It's, not, it's not a snake. You, you would not you think you have to say that, but um, like, uh, it genuinely, genuinely is a thing. And actually, that's um, that's a that ra- uh, that raises a good question. Yeah, because we obviously live here in Armadale, we're in the New England region. What is uh, the more what um, snakes are popular and commonly found around the New England region? Are there any in particular that really like to to, to dwell in our area? Uh, so what's really cool about New England, I guess, is because it's, there's a lot of really rapid uh, transitions in habitat. Like, there's a very rapid gradient moving from one side of a range to the other and along the tableland north to south. Um, so say you're in Armadale, for instance, most of the snakes you're going to see are going to be eastern browns or red bellies, uh, the occasional marsh snake, uh, the occasional eastern small line or dwyers. You know, it's a pretty small number. Um, if you go out to Ebor, though, like just to the east, then you'll start to get tigers and highlands copperheads. You go up to Gara, you start to get Highlands Copperheads again. Uh, you start to go off west off the range down towards Narrabri and Moree, and it's entirely different. You get this whole uh, drier woodland earth fauna assemblage of like spotted black snakes and grey snakes and all these different things. So it's really, it's quite rapid, especially once you move further down into the rainforest on the east and you're getting you know, things like carpet pythons, etc. It's really, yeah, like there are you know, certain species that are everywhere, like eastern browns pretty much everywhere, red bellies pretty much everywhere. But beyond that, it's a really fascinating area to be in because every little pocket of a New England region has a different snake fauna assemblage. That's awesome. We've got a nice bit of variety. Up yeah. There. And finally, Max, what herpetological field of work would you like to go into after completing your PhD? Do you still want to stick around in doing snake catching? Is there something else you want to move into? Um, ideally, I'd like to not do snake catching because sure. uh, not doing snake catching me is like just reading the idea that we don't need snake catchers anymore. People would be... And our, our, new, our ideal world is that you don't need snake catchers because people are comfortable having snakes around. Probably never going to get there, but, you know, that is the dream. Sure. Um, otherwise, I just would love to keep doing research, really. Find what I work. Um, the research space is really fascinating. Uh, there's so many, so many unanswered questions when it comes to reptiles in Australia, and particularly in their conservation, you know. Granted, everything in Australia, uh, conservation-wise, is understudied and underfunded, but reptiles, I find, are particularly understudied and particularly underfunded. So... Yeah, yeah. Be able to keep focusing on them would be the dream. 
Awesome. Uh, well, Max, thank you so much for chatting with us today. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Oh, it's been a pleasure to have you. You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM on the home of UNE's student-powered radio.